0: 26, 27 through 30. If in spite of all this, you still do not listen to me, but continue to be hostile towards me, then in my anger, I will be hostile toward you. And I myself will punish you for your sins seven times over. You will eat the flesh of your sons and the flesh of your daughters, I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and PILE your dead bodies on the lifeless forms of your idols, and I will abhor you!" These sound like they're either the lyrics to a death metal song, or something Hannibal Lecter would say to one of his victims before he kills them in some horribly complex way. And I'm a Christian man. Oh, really? Please tell me about the Bible. Right. Uh, yeah. How many people do you think read the Bible? Like, if you had to like, guess there are the those, number of Christians in this country. There are those tests, aren't there, they sometimes do. The Humanist Society did yeah. a few years ago asking very basic questions of mm. self-professed Christians about their knowledge of the texts and very few. Like, I think. My favorite is self-professed Christians with religious tattoos. Like, hey man, you got to read the whole book.
1: <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> you, you are literally showing right. on your skin right. that you didn't read the whole right. book. There are things in the Old Testament that you don't follow. There are things in the Old Testament that you don't agree with, and we're wondering why that is. And you haven't been able to give us what seems to be a satisfactory answer. If you read Leviticus, there's a heck of a lot you can't do. If you if, yeah. you, if you go down Leviticus, I can't wear two pieces of different cloth. Yes exactly yeah Leviticus is a wonderful book so I can't count the number of times that in discussions with Christians in particular I'm raising issues and pointing out problems with the Bible and their response is oh yeah but that's the Old Testament the Bible for some of us it is a source of wisdom and inspiration For others of us, it's um, an ancient anthology of anachronistic nonsense with more than its fair share of straight-up, what the f**k, moments. What is it about the Old Testament that makes it so desirable for people to want to write off the content as if it doesn't matter anymore?
1: Welcome back to our final installment in the book of Leviticus. And I hope that you are indeed seeing that these things in this particular book and the things of the Old Testament are starting to jump to life for you, that they do indeed matter, that they do point to something bigger, that they are part of the whole big picture. That is the Holy Word of God. We're here This is our last installment, guys. I know. I I made it quick and easy. Three episodes. See, we can do this. And I hope and pray that you'll go back and listen to them over and over throughout time and just refresh. I know I always have to do that as well. Um, There's a lot of things that, you know, I mean, covering the book of Leviticus in three hour and a half podcasts is really, um, it's not that in depth. So uh, as different rabbit trails and, you know, they'll, I'll have more episodes later on with things that relate to it. And, you know, through the Bible, as we do the Through the Bible series, I'll hearken back to this a lot and tie it all in. So if there's some things that I am missing, um, hey, if there's some things that you still have unanswered, go to our Facebook page, Drilling Down, um, and type right in there. Let me know post it. Let me know if there's a question you have or anything like that. Uh, Of course, always thank you for those who went this last week to iTunes and gave us five stars and rated the show. Put a little comment in there. Please, please, please do that. That is all that I'm asking. All right. Enough of that garbage. Let's move on. We're at chapter 10. Now, I know there's a lot of chapters to get through, but a lot of it has been dealt with by us already. So what I'm going to do is fly around and point out the you know the different stories that are unique, the themes, storylines, plots that are unique to each chapter as we roll on, not that keep repeating what we've already been through. We'll get that again in Numbers. We'll get that again in Deuteronomy some. I just won't have to repeat it because we did it in the last two episodes.
0: Yay!
1: All right. So... We're going to start off with a bang here or a sizzle, if you will. Chapter 10 of the book of Leviticus, pulling it up here on my Bible. I'm going to read it, Um, not the whole whole chapter, Uh, but I'm going to read just just a little section here. Three verses, actually, how we kickstart this chapter off. Now, these are sons of Aaron. Remember, sons of Aaron. Um, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put, they were priests, okay, and put fire in it. And laid incense on it and offered, here we go, unauthorized fire before the Lord. Fire that he had not commanded them. Uh Oh, and fire came out of, oh boy, this is not good. Okay, anytime, this is not good. And, And this is also some YouTubers will point to this. And fire came from before the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. (laughs) Uh, Then Moses said to Aaron, Yo, this is what the Lord has said about this atrocity. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron shut his mouth and held his peace, even though his sons laid to waste on the ground. Okay. Okay. Alien fire, it's called that they did wrong. What did they do wrong? Alien fire? Other versions call it strange fire. Other versions, uh the one I just read, unauthorized fire. Um still some yet. Saint Elmo's fire, fire festival, fire in the hole. <laughs> Literally gross. Uh let's get some of these fire deaths uh, uh explained, shall we? <laughs> okay. Uh this is a great way to start off this chapter. So Aaron's sons do a bad thing. Yeah, uh, Again, surprise, surprise, shocker. This part of scripture has just been turned over, turned over, turned over. Why did it happen? You know uh, The whole thing with you know, Moses, or Noah and you know, his sons and the cursing of Canaan, like there's, there's some parts of Scripture that we just churn over and churn over. Everybody's got a theory. Well, I'll tell you what they did. They did a bad thing here, too close to Yahweh. Not good. They get crispy creamed. And then he has them in this story immediately dragged outside of camp as fried, dead, smoldering corpses. And then he commands all of, you know, the the relatives there and Aaron, hey, yo, don't mourn for them. Do not remember this tearing of the robes thing when you're mourning. Do not tear your robes. he says. Don't cry. Don't show emotion for these two idiots. Show no anger towards me, God says. Don't mourn. Later, we're going to see this with Ezekiel. Whoa. Go and prepare a meal to consume with me. God is, I'm paraphrasing here. God is saying, do it properly to make up for this. Sanctify my holy place that has been desecrated. So Moses goes into full on panic mode to make things right. You know what I mean? It's like the owner of a restaurant when two idiot waiters really screw up with the most important patron (laughs) that the restaurant has, (laughs) and the owner. (laughs) basically, you know, is pounding these waiters' heads against the table, saying, make this right now. God says, come and eat this meal the proper way to make up for these imbeciles. Commune with me now. And if I would have read on there, Aaron and the remaining, you know, priests, uh, they don't do it. Because they're in mourning, and Moses freaks out, and then he he hears their reasoning, and he understands. And okay, everybody back to normal. (laughs) Oh, without the Wonder Twins, of course, because they're obviously out there with the stench of their simmering, burn-up waste of human flesh while still smoking outside camp. Alrighty then, what the crap is happening here? (laughs) The text doesn't tell us. Oh, (laughs) classic Hebrew writing. Doesn't give us any details as to exactly what they did wrong. But you can kind of try to figure it out if you just take a little time and study it. Wait, Kyle, is that what the Old Testament authors wanted us to do? (laughs) It becomes apparent as you look at this that Nadab and Abihu are doing something that only the high priest would do. That's a no-no, and that procedure led them. You know, remember how we studied how the closer you got to God, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to the last two in Leviticus, go back. Don't even listen to the rest of this. All right, thank you. Public service announcement over. Uh, The further you get closer to Yahweh, the more sacred space, right, that it would become, the more valuable everything would become as you led up to him. So they were, you know, priests were only allowed to go a certain, you know, amount into the, the tent of meeting here because this was, again, guys, this was legit. This was supernatural stuff. In Leviticus, remember back in 2.16, we saw that anyone who did this unauthorized was going to die. Now, God wasn't kidding whether it was Nadab, Nadab and Abihu or not, whether it was Aaron's personal sons or not, but they do this. They do it wrong. Again, we will see kings do this wrong in the future, and they get roasted because they violated the sacred space. Now, we know that about sacred space. See, this is starting to make sense. And it would appear that Yahweh waits until they step out of that sacred space before he, you know, spontaneously combusts them into oblivion. He doesn't want that mess in his, his space. Now they're the burnt offering. Okay, I'll show myself to the door. Oh, wow, of the tent. Wow, okay. Uh, catch here. As we're looking at this, I'm looking here in my Bible. I mean, Aaron sees this happen to his sons. That sucks for him. And he goes to grab his garment to tear it in mourning. You know, this was a thing back then. But Moses stops him, says, don't you dare tear that robe. You know, Aaron's going to do it just because he's just, you know, it's probably, definitely, partially like, what were my sons thinking? You can't do that, you know, in the presence of God. Part of it was probably he was just frustrated. Part of it was because he loved his sons and he missed them and they smelled like crap while they were burning. Part of it, you know, would also be probably to stand before the Lord and say, please don't kill me. <laughs> you know, who knows? But he's getting ready to tear it. And Moses says, don't you dare do it. Why? Well, remember back in Exodus twenty-eight thirty-two. It's a boring part of Scripture for most, you know. Again, you're not going there in your morning devotionals, but we've covered this. Don't skim past it. It's a command that the high priest was not to tear their garment no matter what. Who cares, Kyle? Who cares? What does this mean for me, right? I mean, isn't isn't this what we do? And this is why we we look at this portion and we go, "Oh my gosh, really?" Like you couldn't wear two different kinds of cloth. You know, priest had a certain set of stuff he had to wear just right. Who cares, man? I'm in no danger of tearing my bathrobe that I lounge in every night. (sighs) My dad's got a bathrobe he lounges in every night with. Uh, I would just tell you nothing underneath it. I know from experience. Most people in my family know from experience of seeing that. Kyle, what does this Old Testament weirdness have to do with me? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> Matthew, in the New Testament, Matthew twenty-six sixty-four. Caiaphas, who was the high priest. Now, which you guys, ooh, boy, rabbit trial won't go on right now, but the high priest in the New Testament are gonna mean something different to you now. Like you're gonna you're gonna get some stuff now because we've gone through this, and we have not begun to scratch the surface of what numbers Deuteronomy has to do. All right. Uh, okay, so Caiaphas was the high priest and, and he had just asked Jesus Jesus if are you claiming to be the son of God? That's what they all wanted to know. Is it, you know, that's punishable by death, by their religion. Are you claiming to be the son of God? This is why they'd kill him. And Jesus, as you know, replied, You will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of God, coming in power in the clouds of heaven. I mean, we know this scene, right? So I won't, I, won't get, I won't repeat it right now. But there, okay, you have the son of God who is literally before the high priest right there in that moment. And what does the high priest Caiaphas do? He tore his priestly robe in anger. Oh, what? Oops, Kyle, I know this now. Oh, I know. Caiaphas, in his selfish, ignorant, prideful, sinful anger, stood before the king of kings and he tore his robe and that Ended ironically the Jewish priesthood forever and just a few short hours later Jesus would have paid the price for our sin in a horrific way right he would have died in the final tear occurred didn't it and it ripped through space and time as the temple veil tore impossibly man this thing was thick you're starting to get a grasp for that now from top to bottom as the earth shook and the daytime turned to night. Rabbit trail. Oh, man, just wait for the rabbit trails when we hit the New Testament. Yeah! No. Kyle, we're only in the third book of the Bible and a boring one at that. I know. Or so you always thought, right? Oh, snap. Don't mourn for these idiots. Don't tear your clothes This is about being sanctified and glorified. Moses is saying there there's a difference between the masses of the people and the high priest and Yahweh. And Moses took that very seriously. Now, look at this in the mind of the first century Jew. Man, is this foreign in the time of Jesus. He comes and he abolishes this. Every believer now would be a priest. I mean, think about what the disciples were trying to roll out. Thousands and thousands of years of separation from the priest and the people. Yet Jesus, we will see this. We will see this soon. We saw a little bit with, um, remember Abraham and Melchizedek? Remember that? Yeah, God, Moses is showing them there's a way that we have to come before the Lord And there's a way that he wants us to come before him, not in stress and mourning and tearing our robes. All right, chapter eleven. The next five chapters deal with uh, matters of ceremonial cleanliness and uncleanliness. Now, this is great. We've covered most of this, so this is why you know I'll get into I'll get into a little weirdery right now, but we don't have to touch on all of it. So, for the Hebrew people here back then, these were acts that weren't. Uh, morally wrong, but were ritually barring. This is great. We know this now. We don't have to go into it. They were were ritually unfit and needed cleanse. So there is something that I'm afraid if I don't cover, it's probably going to come back on the Drilling Down uh, page. So it has to do with chapter 11, Clean and Unclean Animals. Now, um, we'll talk about kosher in different episodes down the way, but uh, this gets a little weird. I'm going to read a little bit of that weirdery, so hang out with me. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Ooh, good. We got a detailed list. No problem. We got this. Whatever parts of the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Uh, okay. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part of the hoof, you should not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part of the hoof. It's unclean to you. And the rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not Part of the hoof is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not chew part of the hoof, it is unclean to you. And the pig, because it chews. Okay, do we have to keep going on? All right. And all these you may eat, of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether the seas or in the rivers you may eat, but anything in the seas or rivers that does not have fins and scales, of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, uh, that's detestable to you. For you shall regard them as detestable. detestable you shall not eat any of these or their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you blah 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 that's what we usually say <laughs> so i'll go ahead and quickly tackle this by no means uh, an exhaustive <laughs> attempt here chewing the cud uh, again, the thing that I've said before, and I'll, I'll keep saying this is the Bible is not a scientific journal. The Bible is never, ever intended to be that scripture isn't doing science. It doesn't mean that it flies in the face and it's just completely stupid. It, no, it's just it's not doing silence. So, yeah, it's doing it's doing deeper. It's doing better theological themes technically ruminants would have multiple stomachs if you're going to chew the cud right so now if you're going to break down these animals I'll go well which one you know which ruminants have multiple stomachs and you know it's inaccurate when it comes to the rock badger and the rabbit so science would boot this and like the I just mentioned there in, in scripture but it's not a scientific effort on the author's part it's what gives the appearance of chewing the cud you know both these animals would appear to chew the cud so you know <laughs> the thing critics try to point out about the Bible is not, you know, it's not being scientifically perfect. That's not it. I think what Yahweh is doing here is saying, look, if anything looks like it's going to chew, like it looks like it's chewing the cud, don't even do it because by degrees, by increments, you're going to work your way back to something that is unclean. Guys, do you see? This is not rocket science. This is not some YouTube idiot. And I don't mean that like Well, kind of, I do just completely calling out God in the Bible on, on this kind of thing. Oh, you think the rock badgers, the point is sometimes God throws things in there to go. Don't even test the fire people, you know, like if you're really given to stealing, like that's kind of your thing, well then don't work the cash register. Okay. Because it's just not going to lead to good things. All right, W.J. Houston has done a lot of extensive work in this area and can go way deeper. So why have these rules on these animals? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. Remember, the Israelites were to be set apart from neighboring nations. We know this now. This was a huge deal with God. And so this is what this was. Don't do anything the lowercase gods wanted on their altars, you know, in your neighbor's yard. So the question, I guess, should be asked here, how's holiness connected to diet anyway? There's a thing called the hygienic theory uh, that these certain animals here were prohibited because they would make you sick. You know, the idea is that, you know, Yahweh's looking out for the Israelites so they didn't get parasites and all this kind of thing. Just so they could keep disease out of the way. And there is some of that in here, but this isn't really this isn't really it uh, because really, I mean, in, in the end, all food can make you sick if it's not cooked right. So I mean, that doesn't doesn't really mean a lot here. There's a cult polemic theory here that you were forbidden because, you know, that these particular animals were prominent in pagan cults. But that's not really true either because, I mean, for the most part, I mean, the same animals were sacrificed everywhere. There's a thing called the anomaly theory. Jonathan Clowens has done a lot of work here. The animals that are, you know, would say banned are species that defy their scientific classification. So long and really boring. I went into a really boring story on this one. There's no proof that's going on here either. So you'll hear that a lot thrown out there. I just don't... There's just no proof of any of that. So, you know, without spending a whole lot of time, what's the deal? I just think it's a cultural thing. Maybe it's a it's a combination of all of these things I just talked about. Maybe certain amount of animals are on the list because the Israelites are just to be set apart. And that's where I'm at with it. You know, you, you got all these whacked out rules here on certain clean animals. And I, I guess... I always think it's best to be thought of as theological, first and foremost. Yahweh wanted to show he was separate from them. See, this isn't hard. But at the same time, he there's a lot of things that he throws out there that is just like, don't even tempt yourself. Look, if this animal, you know, don't, if if you can't eat the uh, salmon, but you can eat the tilapia, just, I'm going to X out the tilapia as well. Go for the black and my my anyway. You know what I'm saying? All right, chapters 12 through 15. Let's move on. This, this, if you encounter this in your Bible, which hopefully you're reading along, these chapters have to deal with from, you know, all these diseases, these health problems that would make someone unclean. So it's a big rollout of what we talked about in the first one. So we won't go too much into this. But chapter 12, I'll just read, um, you know, to be fair, I'll read a little bit here. Let me turn to chapter twelve. Um, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Speak to the people of Israel saying, "If a woman conceives and bear, bears a male, male child, then she shall be unclean seven days, as at the time of her menstruations. So we talked about this a little bit. on the eighth day, His flesh would be uh, circumcised, then she continue then then she shall continue for thirty three days in the blood of her purifying." She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary. I mean, this woman just gave birth, for crying out loud. Into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. But if she bears a female child, then she'll be unclean for two weeks. Uh Uh-oh, that's what is going on. As in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purification for 66 days. What? Okay, so that's childbearing. Uh, there's obviously skin diseases that will roll on from here, uh, blemishes, health problems, you know, bronchitis. I'm just making that one up. But OK, so what is going on here? This is, again, where the haters come out. Obviously, we can see and we know now that this is about protecting sacred space and the loss of blood, as you know now, is identified with death. There's nothing wrong with this woman that just had birth. It's all natural. It's not about sin at all. She's unclean because you know now her birth is connected with her, you know, losing her blood, having a period, the loss of life fluid, blood. It means she's not whole until that life blood is replaced. Kyle, that's not scientifically, that's not what we're doing here. She is ritually unfit for sacred space. It's not at all. You know, it's not every bodily discharge. Breastfeeding seems to be okay, right? That's good. You're giving your life to another life. Snot seems to be okay. The old pooperooski seems fine. (laughs) That's a body, body discharge, wouldn't you say? All right. If you pay attention, it's everything that's linked to reproduction. Oh, You'll see the opposite of this a lot in the other cultures as well. Yahweh is setting himself up as superior and unique. Now, I'm not going to rabbit trail here, but there's a sense of homosexuality in the Bible being linked with not being able to produce life through reproduction, and that is a big contribution to why it's shunned. This is not a podcast on homosexuality, but I will gladly do one and have done them in the past. Can't wait to do that. But part of that is be, is has to do with reproduction and you can't reproduce out of it. The loss of life fluid not being able to reproduce. Now, hang on. Even though a new mother, Levine points this out, was a joy to the community. I mean, moms were celebrated. But the truth is, guys, this was not modern times. Do you know the the rate at which women who gave birth back in this ancient Israelite time would die, astronomical. The rate at which newborn babies would die was astronomical. It was almost a miracle if they all made it through. So by deeming her impure, the community kept an eye on her even closer. She was able to be, you know, since she was set apart now, they could hang out with her, keep an eye on her. Guys, the near east pagan cultures, the priests would cast spells on a new mother and her child. And it was it was to cast demons, cast out demons and protect them in this really fragile time for both of them after birth. There is a lot out there on, you know, near ancient near east religions doing this. The Israelites knew this and they understood this really well. Back in that time, again, not a scientific journal, stillborn children You know, children who would come out of the womb, that their life force was gone out of them. They never got a chance to live. They were thought to be killed by demons that were waiting to kill new life and take that life away. And the woman, the mom there that's giving birth, was thought to be vulnerable. While she had lost so much lifeblood and it hadn't yet replenished, Oh, she wasn't whole again to them. Wow, there's so many New Testament parallels. (laughs) We're going to see so many times that people who are not whole are excluded from sacred space. Now, there's a lot going on here. And again, I won't get too deep into it. I mean, you could be missing an arm, you know, a leg, an eye. Even the Bible says you could be down a testicle. Now, I am not down a testicle. But if I were, I could not go into sacred space. What am I doing here? It doesn't mean you're an abomination. It just means you're unfit ritually. Why? Because God is really serious, friends, about being complete and whole. God is a God of order in creation, not disorder. Do you see? Are you at a place of confusion and chaos in your life? If you are, if you feel like it's not complete, it's not whole, something's missing, friends, that is not God. That is you. Remember, we talked about, I think it was the last episode, this loss of blood was temporary. So you just needed to wait a few days before you got replenished. All right. So what about that whole boys and girls waiting period being different for moms? (laughs) Are boys more important? Of course they are. (laughs) No, 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 no. On the eighth day, the boy would be circumcised. So for 40 days for a boy, and it said 80 days for a girl, right? Because the mother was unclean longer for a girl. So what's up with that? The mom needed to bring a purification offering. And we talked about this with Mary, right? The Bible calls it a sin offering, but that kind of throws us off. Uh, Mike Heiser calls it more of a decontamination offering. I like that. It's, It's just a better term. Again, Mary had to do this, and it had nothing to do with her sin. And again, she was indeed not sinless. It just didn't have to do with her sin. So what's up with the 40 days, the 80 days? Now, we're going back to this not being a scientific journal, and we will do this quite often in the Bible and easily point out that it's not trying to be that. Back in those ancient times, the male embryo was thought... To be developed in 41 days. And there's a reason for that. We won't get into it right now. And the female was to be developed in 82 days. Aristotle thought this as well. So these aren't idiot, you know, Bible scholars, it's just what they thought. It goes back to what happens in the womb should happen outside the womb. So if it takes so long to be developed inside the womb, it needed to be so long outside of the womb before it was ritually pure again. Okay? All right, we'll move on from that. Chapters 13 and 14, I hope that made sense. I hope that it wasn't just too, too quick of a flyby, but really that stuff's pretty easy. And with that in mind, go back and read it. <clears throat> okay. Understand that what was considered leprosy in the ancient world, because we see that a lot here, different than what we know now. Uh, those of you who are nurses or doctors, you're listening to this, you know what Hansen's disease is. So you know, we consider that leprosy today, but it's just a, it could be a generic skin disease that anybody could get at any time. And the descriptions here don't align, don't align with modern day, you know, disgusting leprosy. It was just skin issues. And the people were isolated because they needed to be out of sacred space. They were ritually unclean with this leprosy. This leprosy did not make them morally sinful. You know that, right? There's cases in the Bible we, where we see somebody gets leprosy as a uh, as a punishment coming up we see where somebody gets cured of leprosy in an astonishing way and so you know it's just a skin thing but when you had it nobody else wanted it man because it was made you ritually impure and anything that's ritually impure could be what? Transferred You see, all right, chapter 14. We see the cure was uh, reinstated back into the nation. This was a rehab process here in chapter 14. This was nothing medical. (laughs) So, would people rip Leviticus 14 for, oh, how did you cure leprosy? How did you cure genital discharge? How did you do this stuff? You guys are morons. It's not medical. It's ritual. Again, this was all about the protection of Yahweh's sacred space. We don't understand that because he doesn't have sacred space here now. Oh, inside of us. Yes. It's not about cleansing of sin, cleansing of disease. Yes, of course, there's symbolism here. And yes, absolutely, uh, positively, Yeshua, Jesus Christ came and did that. But again, That's why Jesus is so far superior to this. We don't have to deal with this crap. If I get eczema, if I get some kind of skin disease, I just put some cortisone on it or whatever. Anyway, unlike other times in the Old Testament when people are struck with leprosy because of some sin, this is not the case in Leviticus. It is an issue of imperfection or not being, again, whole, which makes them understand they cannot simply approach the perfectness of Yahweh in his shed of meeting out back at your house. It hearkens back to the Garden of Eden, my friends. Eden, God's abode, was perfect order completeness. We see this promise again when we get to heaven. It just keeps all tying together in scripture, and I love it. I love it. All right. Looking at, looking into chapter 16 here, ooh, this is a big one. This is something called the Day of Atonement. Now we all know this. Yom Kippur, as we know it today. Uh and again, all the Jewish side of, you know, today and festivals and feasts and all this kind of stuff that uh, I don't, won't cover right now. We'll, we'll get more into that in uh, Deuteronomy. Uh, so we'll we'll cover that whole side of why the Jewish people do what they do now and all that good stuff. You've heard a lot of this lingo because it, it translates. I mean, they still celebrate it today. Uh, uh, okay, I was going to rabbit trail on, on Jews right there. Never mind. This chapter, chapter 16, is concerned with the removal and the destruction of impurity. And so we don't have to spend a ton of time here obviously still practiced by the Jews, Yom Kippurahs. The difference would, of course, alter forever, be altered after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD because there was no temple anymore to purify. So the focus would move on to the individual, which I won't rabbit trail on right now. But there's blood here that's applied once again to the sanctuary, not the individual. Okay, people miss this, though it's not the end of the world by any means. You know, if you... If you're going to hit it and you're going to like talk about atonement and what Jesus did, I do understand that because it does give us more gratitude and value uh, for that. We are now the precious temple of the Lord. I mean, yeah, I could talk about that forever, but you get it. You get it. He dwells in us. So we in turn should be so devout as to keep it pure and drive out sins and impurities, you know, that are within us. Have the Holy Spirit help us with that. Get help from the Lord. Oh, snap. Dang, Kyle, that's hitting hard. I know. This is not about the forgiveness of sins. This is about removal and destruction of impurity from the sacred space. And so this chapter is a reset button. Okay, think of it that way. To restore everything and everyone back to ritual. Well, purity because every every so often once a year they're uh, you know in their thoughts, was that they should reset everything or Yahweh might leave and not dwell among them because they know that by increments they were slipping up. They knew that by increments sin could creep in. Oh, just the right bowl didn't get washed. Oh, I stepped into a holy space there when I had eczema. I just didn't know it was coming up. You know, whatever it was, they just said, hey, we're going to hit the reset button once a year. we clean everything up so that Yahweh stays here. And all is good. And so in this chapter, the most holy place, the holy of holies is called the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting. Verses one through three, we had the deaths of the sons of Aaron. You remember that, the Krispy creams, And Moses reminds Aaron here, that he's only allowed to go in once a year and there's strict details at the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, that Aaron needs to do this just right. Remember when your sons didn't? (laughs) Yahweh, it's a big deal, guys, because this is the day Yahweh would come and appear. This is a huge deal. The high priest would, would get to see this. Dang, what a scary, what a serious thing. Very, very cool, very unique to the day of atonement. Something else in Chapter Sixteen that many of you have heard of that is unique to the day of atonement would be two different goats that were sacrificed, so to speak, and this gets really confusing because they're you know especially if you've been on the trail of the Nephilim, you know if you've been with me on my journey uh through the Genesis Six incursion and all that some of this is going to, there's going to be a name that harkens back here. And then with Jewish folklore and all, and all that kind of stuff. So it gets a little, it gets a little uh, confusing here. Let me read it. What would happen on the day of atonement with the two goats. Okay. And he shall take this is talking about the, what the priest shall do here. And he shall take uh, from the congregation of the people of Israel, two male goats once a year, guys. Now listen, what's going on here for a sin offering and one Ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. And then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots. <laughs> we kind of know what this means now, don't we? Remember that? The orim and the Thummim uh, Shall cast lots over the two goats, one of them for the Lord and one of the other lots for Azazel. Hmm. And Aaron shall, if you remember that name from Genesis 6 And, and for the book of Enoch, first Enoch, and Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord. This is weird to make atonement over it that it may be, listen, sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Hmm. so that he does not die and he shall take some of the blood and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat boy this is cool stuff that's going on there on the east side see how specific this is and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times a lot going on there and he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people And bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it on the mercy seat in the front of the mercy seat. And he shall make atonement for the holy place. Because of the uncleanliness of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells for them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement. Remember those bells on there? That were on the yeah. atonement for the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Yama, then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the blood of the bull and put some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around, and he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it. <laughs> you see why people don't read this in their morning devotionals, but you're getting it now and cleanse it and concentrate it, <laughs> consecrate it. Uh, with uncleanliness of the people of Israel. Now we come to the live goat. And when he has made the end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. For Aaron shall lay both of his hands. We've seen where one hand was laid. Both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, All their sins and he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away to the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in its readiness. So a dude leads this goat out and the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself. Take it to a a remote remote area. Easy for me to say. And he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Huh. And verse 26 says he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward, he comes back to the camp. Okay. Lots of confusion here. Aaron has a certain thing he has to do. The burnt offering has a certain thing he has to do in in the temple there that we saw. And then he has a certain goat that's a scapegoat. Yeah, that's where that term comes from. A scapegoat that gets to go free. I hope you're got your New Testament hats on. Azazel, guys, um, Azazel, whatever goat it was that year, was you know named that symbolically. It was sent out of camp. It was sent away from sacred space and into the wilderness. This is what you do with impurities, especially if they had been piling up over the year. You see, you send them away. The scapegoat is not, I repeat, is not a sacrifice to Azazel. And by no means, it's simply look at it like an Uber or a cab ride. for impurity to get the heck out of the camp away from the people and away from Yahweh a cab ride with a one way ticket out if you i hope you did buy um get get the book the unseen realm by dr michael heiser pages 176 and 177 talk about this moment about the goat that goes away um and its proper name and some really good in depth stuff that the the ancient hebrew would be listening to and quite aware of. So, this adds a really supernatural component which I love. If you've listened to this podcast back with the Nephilim series, you're gonna know that Azazel was the leader of the angels that sinned, the watchers at Mount Hermon in Genesis chapter 6. They had sexual relations with women, I believe. We know this from First Enoch and from the Dead Sea Scrolls as well. Azazel was understood to be (laughs) We come at this two ways now. Walked up in the abyss out in the desert. Listen to my Revelation episodes. Oh, yeah. Listen to my Genesis and listen to my Revelation. They both have the same dude. I love the Bible, guys. This is why the desert was looked at as evil and scary and associated with death and demons. This is why Jesus encountered the devil there. Hey. Azazel is linked here as a demon, which we've talked about as being disembodied Nephilim after the flood. So the people are thinking demon. They're thinking demon as well. When this goat is sent out, these impurities that had demons with them, on them, covering them adversaries of Yahweh they needed to be sent away from sacred space this was all part of their thinking some traditions say that they would even drive this goat over a cliff out in the middle of nowhere so it didn't come wandering back you know nobody wanted that (laughs) could you imagine (laughs) you send this goat out people like woo! all of our sins are represented on that thing (laughs) get that thing out of here (laughs) let's party it up dudes Crack out the wine skins. And then it's like, and it comes wandering back into camp. Not good. Guys, the sins, the imperfections don't go on Yahweh's goat. It goes on Azazel's goat, and it gets driven away. Does this make sense? Good. Verse, verses 11 through 19, the high priest, as I read there, had to do a lot. The mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant... The idea, as seen in Scripture, that this was indeed the literal the literal throne. <laughs> Game of Thrones? Yes. The literal throne and the footstool of Yahweh when he came down. The cherubim stretched out on the lid to support the throne of God. Oh, we're going to get more. More in this in Ezekiel. Yama, Bahama Mama. After this reboot, this Yam Kippur... After this Reboot, this Day of Atonement, everything was restored so that it could be used once again for another year. Do you see? The entire process of the Day of Atonement had to start with an offering to Yahweh. And listen, he had to accept it. I love that. Never forget that. The throne of God being there would... Decide if this would happen or not. Would he come to his throne or not? Yes, good. Catch this. The people are purged when he does come to the throne, not because of their sacrifice, but because Yahweh accepts them. The grace of God accepts them. The blood isn't applied to them. It's applied to Yahweh. It's not because of their sacrifice. Man, guys, it's not because of what you and I do. Can our good deeds, oh, just outweigh our bad deeds by even one and tip the scales by the time I die? Good luck living with that. It's if Yahweh accepts you or not. And that's why we call upon the name of his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect and acceptable offering that makes us whole and complete. That Yahweh sees his son Jesus in us, not the broken selves that we are. Holy cow, I hope you're getting an appreciation. Not reading it back into. It's the same with when I talk about the end times. I always say, do not, do not, do not. It's great to talk about the news. And I may do a break off, make a a different segment that's like, That's like talking about the news today, although that gets dated. If you come to this podcast and listen to me talking about the news of Russia, Syria, you know, everything, Iran that's going on right now, um, and it's a year ago, you know, you're just like, I don't want to go back and listen to that. But it kind of is important as we move around. But you can never let the news dictate what the Bible says. Do you see? Okay, the same thing goes here. The same thing goes here. You can't let the New Testament dictate what's trying to happen here because you just get it all wrong. But you can see this as shining more light on the New Testament. All right. Once again, dead horse at the door. Stop beating him. Chapters 17 and 18. Ooh, this is called the Holiness Code by scholars in this portion here. It's basically just a calling for you and I as ancient Hebrews to do our part in process. Let's all do our part here. You know, there's provisions made for people that are hunting. Uh, You know, that you're out. I mean, there are guys think about this. This is not a 20-person tribe. This is millions of people here, and so you would cover— we'd have hunting parties that would go out and hunt for your particular clan, your family. They didn't have to—you know, they could dress that animal out in the field. You know, God's just saying there's permission for this stuff. You know, as long as you don't use that animal for a sacrifice and it's for food, you know, what 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 is for me stays separate, Yahweh says. So there's some really cool stuff that goes on there we don't have to cover here. Chapter 17, verses 10 through 15 here, we've talked about this. Eating blood, consuming blood, was stealing it from God. We know this now. We understand this better now. Blood was life. You gotta keep it in your body. That's a good thing. And God would accept the blood from your animal as a substitute for your blood, life force. Don't eat of any animal when you're out and about, without draining its blood first into the earth. That's weird. You know, you're out hunting, you kill an animal. You drain its blood into the earth. Why? Because part of this was showing God that you were honoring him, giving the animal to you from the ground. You're honoring that back. The other reason was so that the blood would not be used for evil purposes because that's what people did. And the dirt of the ground would pollute it so that it couldn't be used for any other deity. Yeah, it's so deep, guys. It's so deep. It's so profound. I won't go into it all right now. Verse 11, looking here, the life of the flesh is in the blood. Forgiveness of sins does not come because the penalty from sin is excused but because it's transferred to a sacrifice whose lifeblood is poured out. I am going to say that again. Listen carefully. Forgiveness of sins does not come because the penalty from sin is just straight up excused, but because it's transferred to a sacrifice whose lifeblood is poured out. Thank you, Jesus. You're not excused because of your patheticness. I'm not conf- excused because of my horrific sin. But it was transferred to a perfect sacrifice. And God sees him, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and Kyle Gray, instead of the mess that I am. Oh, I love it. Don't you, I don't want this to end. Who's with me? Are you with me? chapter 18 are sexual laws there's incest you know what the immediate what happens inside the immediate family and what isn't the families are separated by blood relatives as you could imagine back then and then non-blood relatives so there's a whole idea of uncovering the nakedness of which again goes back to Noah it's used here a lot sexual sexual relations Um, scholars believe you know in a sense that as, as with all of this in light, that Noah and Ham and everything happened there, that he was literally trying to take power over his dad, you know, that um, what happened there was – because you would have – I mean this was a thing in the Romans and the Greeks, guys, where one guy would sexually abuse another guy to show that he had dominance and power, and one of them was trying to do that and take his dad's kingdom – Yama, Bahama, Mama. All right. Verse 19 through 21 has to do with Moloch. And we'll talk, we, we have talked about Moloch and we'll talk a lot more, but this is pagan cultures here. You know, it's an opening. Horrible, horrible in the back of a brazen idol in the form that they would show to Moloch here. This, think about this brazen idol that was in the form of a giant animal or a creature whatever you wanted to make. And then you put that brazen idol that's hollow inside into the fire with an opening in the back that you would place an infant into, into the hot white flames, an infant baby. Guys, this was happening in your neighbor's yard in Canaan. It was an absolute abomination They say they would beat the war drums so loudly that the infant's cries couldn't be heard and the parents, listen, were to remain emotionless Mm. as the child died in the arms of this deity. Do you see why Yahweh wants to be set apart? They can be emotionless while their child dies. Verse 21 through 24, homosexuality here is, uh, grouped, look and turn in here, grouped with be- bestiality and child sacrifice to Moloch. So again, you fl- just sword drill open your Bible and you're like, Oh, the Bible's comparing homosexuality with, you know, doing it with a cow and offering up your own baby to Moloch. Look. It has to do with the destruction of semen omission without reproducing. These things were all contrary to procreation. Do you understand? God made us man and woman, guys, not because he just thought that was the best thing and we should just love each other because men and women love each other and men and men can't love each other and women and women can't love each other. That's not it. What does he say throughout the old Testament to his children? What did we see guys through our biblical heroes there? What did we see through the patriarchs and God commanded at Babel? What did he say? Be fruitful and multiply two dudes on their own on an island, cannot do this. Two women on their own on an island cannot do this. Now, I'm not getting into sexuality. Is it the greatest sin of all? That will come. I've got plenty to say about that. These things were contrary to procreation. Someone brought up to me one time how lesbianism is absent. (laughs) Like it's always two dudes, Kyle, in the Bible. So I think lesbianism is fine. Well, mainly with the Bible, there's no semen emission, okay, for the lesbians. So there's no like loss of life. And that's what they were talking about here. Although it's condoned because it can't procreate. Illicit sexual relations were looked at polluting the land in the end, guys, and the land belonged to God. This was such a big deal. Don't pollute the land because the land belongs to God. Oh, more on this as we go through the Bible. More and more on this. Chapters 19 through 20. Yeah, chapter 19 is great. It's like a mini Torah. Bunch of laws again. These are laws of everyday life. And so there's honestly, just going to be honest with you, there's lots of redundancy here. Um, A lot of things about camp to do, you know. Uh, How to treat the blind. Don't prey on anyone with a weakness. Don't prey on the poor. I love this. Don't show favoritism at all to the rich or to the poor. The point here, guys, in God's system, everyone is even. More on this. Again, when we talk about leveret marriage, when we talk about bond servants coming up, this was different than (laughs) Civil War slaves. Everyone's even in God's system. Chapter 19, verse 19. There's something going on with a bunch of mixing. Jacob Jacob Milgram uh, says, Mixtures belong, this is cool, to the sacred deity. There's a parallel to the sacred space and the linens of the high priest. Yahweh mixing with us could only happen in sacred space. This gets really deep. So we're going to stay at 20,000 feet, okay? But man, can we go down the rabbit trail here? Mixtures characterize holiness? If you go deeper, you'll even see a parallel with the cherubim and the Garden of Eden and its sacred space. Sacred space is supposed to be different than common space. Do you understand? Chapter 19 is great. Of all, you guys think about what have we done? An hour and a half, three hours, then, and an hour an hour. And so I mean, like four hours in right now, at this point that you are listening, to the study of Leviticus, four hours in. And here we finally encounter, really the only part that anyone ever seems to pull out. <laughs> the old proverbial, Kyle the Bible says that I can't have a tattoo. Man, we are finally somewhere (laughs) (laughs) that all of you have heard. Joe Rogan even went ahead and referenced that one. This is what everybody says. All right. So I am going to tell you once and for all, guys, and I'm going to make it very clear. And this you'll never have to answer this again for anyone. I mean, you can answer it, but you'll never have to question it. This is very, very simple, and this will forever end the debate now. Before we get into it, I will preface and I will say this. I do not have a tattoo. I have never wanted a tattoo. I don't really like tattoos. I think they can maybe look good on some people, but even then, I just don't like them. I've never liked them. It's not my thing. That being said, I'm happy if it's your thing. (laughs) like if you, who cares, fantastic I just don't like them, I've never liked them, you know, my one friend, my one roommate when I had an apartment was throwing my life away, had gotten one in the army like a few years earlier or something, whatever of Daffy Duck flipping you off on his his calf (laughs) and he's forever mortified now, you know, a lot of people say that they'll be like, it's forever, you know, but I'm the only person on the planet that doesn't have tattoos these days, I just don't, I don't want one I just don't like them, okay yeah That being said, I will tell you that the Bible in no way, shape, or form says that you getting a tattoo is wrong unless you are getting it to summon, to worship, or to conjure up a dead relative. (laughs) Okay? Hopefully none of you are doing that. All right. Okay. You know, it's a simple matter of context here. They have to do with, you know, ritualist, religious flavor, if you will. Well, they're associated with the practices even, of course, of course, of nearby pagan nations. Guys, I always say this, especially Egypt. Yahweh had led them out of Egypt. Now, he he looked at Egypt differently than he did the Canaanites. So he, he, he didn't call for their uh, utter, you know, Obliteration because he used them to house and to incubate his precious nation. And what happened once again at the birth of Jesus? Whoa, you know, like so it's different with the Egyptians, but yet they still he wanted them out of there. He was done with them They because they had so much going on with the other gods. Remember the Ten Commandments and they would do a lot with tattoos and so the laws that Yahweh puts in place here are to fly in the face of these other religions and other religious rituals of surrounding nations with the blood, with which animals could happen, which could, with all, you know, a hundred steps to separate themselves from surrounding pagan nations. Now, tattooing, if you look at the scripture right there, look at it. You are not to tattoo yourself to the dead. These were mourning rituals back then. The ancients did this so that, listen, here's the deal. If your aunt died, your aunt could benefit from this tattoo of yours. Don't even get me started on purgatory. Not a thing in the Bible at all. No one that dies is going to benefit from anything you do on this side. Anything. It is nowhere in the Bible. Okay, They're either in heaven or they're in hell. That being said, <laughs> you can't get a tattoo and, again, pay homage to it. Do some rituals to it and have that effect. Your dead relative, if you do that, you're doing it, you're doing it all wrong and you're in trouble. Guys, for the ancient Israelite, only Yahweh or permissible means by Yahweh could happen, and the pagans used tattoos to appease the dead. the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal they started cutting themselves to win favor win the favor of their God I mean this is what's happening here. it happened big time in Egypt and and God is saying no, I want you to be set apart. To say today that God hates tattoos, guys, that is unbiblical. It truly is. And I'm sorry if you're hardcore Baptist and you're getting ready to throw this pop. I grew up Baptist, right? Been there, buddy. It's unbiblical. And quite honestly, it violates the author's original intent here and the integrity of the Hebrew Scripture to take it upon yourself and read that into the text. And no, I don't want tattoos. I don't like tattoos. I don't care about tattoos. I've just... If you have them, keep it up. They look great on you. I'm happy for you. Just don't worship your dead relatives as a replacement. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for coming to my tattoo talk. (laughs) Out of all the Leviticus, that's the one. Why not talk about some more child sacrifice? (laughs) Chapter 20 here. It leads to the death penalty, idolatry and child sacrifice leads to death, whoring after mediums, necromancers. You know, what we just saw to Moloch is just forbidden. It's a massive betrayal of Yahweh and that life force. There are death penalty offenses, you know, shown here. Law dishonoring your parents leads it off. Yes, yes. This was about who was in your immediate family and who was not and helping to preserve the blood family and not destroy family. This is really important, God, to the guys, to the covenant via Abraham. Family was a huge deal. It is fascinating when put in this light. There are rules here so that no one can derail what God is setting up in the nation. Do you see that? You need to be taught to respect who God is. This whole no mixture of sacred space is how God was teaching them. There is a divine order, there is a human order, and we lost it at the Garden of Eden. We will get it back one day. Chapters 21 and 22 talks about more contact with the dead unclean uncleanliness being unfit for sacred space all the rules that priests had to go through um, way more restrictive than the average person and so that's why the priest standards were even greater and that's why they were held to even a higher standard and this gets replaced again in the new testament right right guys with with rules for elders and those who you know want to be pastors it's it's going to be an extra set of tough stuff put on you Uh, We see extensive lists here in these couple of chapters in the end of Leviticus um, where wholeness is associated with the ability to enter sacred space. Like that should make sense to us now. Yahweh is associated with wholeness and perfection. Sacred bodies and blemished limbs are not sins. It's just so people can learn about God's holiness. If you were a a priest and you were scarred and had physical defects, you could still eat the offerings and serve. You just couldn't deal with the highest sacred places and perform the duties that were there. In chapter 2, verse 26, you couldn't use newborns as sacrifices, both with animals and Levine with with animals specifically here. Levine points out there's a special bonding period. This is so cool for the mother of that calf and the baby, and perhaps Yahweh's honoring that precious gift of lifeblood to that mother, that you couldn't just take that newborn baby and sacrifice it. Maybe it was a token of compassion for the sacrifice that was going to come later in its life. We don't know, but it's just some cool stuff there. Overall, there's a theme in the last few chapters here. Don't do what other nations are doing. Actually, not only that, but avoid it at all costs, especially when it comes to sacred space and with the religious practices as concerning life and death. Guys, Yahweh is teaching them what belongs to me, he says, is mine. Keep them separate. Be set apart. You want me to rule you. Well, you are going to have to follow a few rules to have me here with you. I hope you understand this now. God says, I set this up one time just the way I wanted it in a garden and you chose death. So now we all have to have a plan B. If you ruin this, I'm going to have to send my son and make you the temple. There will be rules and guidelines for that too. And if you ruin that, I will eventually have to push the reset button and do away with all of it, and establish my rule with you. Think about that. My rule with you, not my rule against you. My rule in the face of you. My rule with you. God never abandons us, my friends. This all shows me how desperate God is to pursue us, and and he would stoop so low just to embrace us all, constantly who are rejecting him slowly over time think about this oh most on the outside look at the old testament and leviticus as all these impossible rules made by a mean intolerable narrow-minded bigoted non-pc cruel god when the reality is as you truly study it it shows the exact opposite it shows a god who will stop at nothing to be with us (sighs) oh an hour and 10 minutes in and I'm just getting started. I'm getting fired up. We don't have a lot left. Hang with me. Chapters 23 and 25, there's festivals throughout the year. And again, we'll get more into these details later in Deuteronomy, more time on these. When we get there, the feasts and the festivals, man, they are fascinating to me and I'm not Jewish, (laughs) but we'll look at it from that perspective. Again, everything's going to tie into the old Testament here. Everything from the New Testament, Jesus, and the end times. It is truly fascinating as studying Leviticus and sacred space will tie it all in for you. And we will marry these all together at length in Deuteronomy. This here, friends, in Leviticus is a reminder that they've been freed from Egypt and they should remember that with the Sabbath. We'll learn that there's no Sabbath in surrounding pagan nations of the time at all. This is a new idea. This is Yahweh's idea. This whole idea of six and then a seventh rest is original to Israel by Yahweh and is directly linked to the greatest miracle in the Bible outside of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that would be the exodus out of Egypt. Do you see Exodus, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, some of numbers all talk about festivals and when we look at them all together, we get a great study. And I will do this again in upcoming Deuteronomy. Chapter 24 of Leviticus, lots of laws, the death penalty. Again, when you see the death penalty for a certain action, there, there isn't, I don't, I could be wrong here. But off the top of my head, I can't recall ever studying any archaeological or any find that shows that that actually happened. I'm sure it did if someone murdered a family or something like that, but um, I I don't know if, I know banishment from the camp happened, actual death penalty, you know, if they carried that out, I'm not sure, but it's there, an eye for an eye, you know, looking. uh, The rabbis would talk about this sometimes. It wasn't followed to the T, you know. If you somehow had someone lose an eye accidentally or even in a fight, would you have to pay by your physical eye? Maybe some near or dear thing to you in recompense. Maybe one of your calves or some type of restitution. Murder was a different story. I think if you murdered someone and the people found out, you'd be toast. Verses 17 through 22 of chapter 24 here you would have to make it good you there would be a death for a death these are two different things the whole idea is compensation not immediate murder unless you committed murder again and whether that happened you know if you were found out you probably did can you imagine millions of people hanging out <laughs> How many accidental eye losses and tooth losses and broken arms are just going to happen by life of traveling or just in skirmishes and that kind of thing, you know? You'd have a a bunch of one-armed people walking around if this was, you know, an exact case every time. intentional maiming is different. So just shut the critic up next time when they when they throw this angry God unfair crap in your face, all right? Wrongs had to be righted and they were dealt with in one way or another. Chapter 25, Jubilee, my favorite to study. And we will deal with this in Deuteronomy. I'm not going to deal with it much here. This is my absolute favorite of all the all the action to study. This was such an incredible system. Guys, I can't wait till we talk about the feasts. Man, Uh Such an incredible system set up by Yahweh to take care of his precious people. And this is where you're going to see love and a caring nurture by Yahweh to set up for his that are in need. The bond servants that some people say, oh, they're slaves in the Bible. How well they were taken care of. It also reminds the people that the land belonged to Yahweh, not to them, the land. This is a system of reset like Yom Kippur. The day of atonement, Kyle, it's like there's a pattern here. I know Yahweh has his system and he sets it up so that you take care of his land the way he created it, the way he loves it. The year of Jubilee will come. We'll talk about at some other point and resets it. It's like going back to the Garden of Eden. Do you see living with Yahweh in his living space, in his abode, there is a restoration to make Eden on earth. Do you see? Jubilee year would abolish slavery and fixes whatever pollution occurred to the people in the land. Guys, on the very day the Azazel goat is taken away from the people. It gets reset and restored. Yama! Hello! New Testament Jesus sacrificed once and for all. Sins erased. Now the temple is built in us. Yeah, chapter 26 and 27. An easy way that I always remember this from seminary, <laughs> or cemetery as we like to call it, was a great study from Thomas Rogers in his book, A Panorama of the Old Testament. This thing, guys, there's one going on eBay for like $900. <laughs> it is rare and it is falling, utterly falling apart. The bindings, you know, I'm glad there's page numbers on it because that's how I have to keep things in order, but it is my absolute fave. He called this portion the if-but principle, but the if-but principle. This chapter is really important. Here's why chapter 26 here. It literally sets the blueprint for the rest of history and for the Israelites as we are getting out of the book of Exodus, the blueprints being set. If you do this, I'll give you this. But if you do this, then you'll get this in return. Do you see? Trust me, you want to do the ifs and want nothing to do with the buts. If you do this, everything will be good. Here's the playbook, God says. Come on, guys. Here's the schematics. Here's the uh, directions from Ikea. Just follow this and everything's going to be fine. (laughs) Follow them and you're going to get an amazing office desk. Fail. Ignore them. Do them out of order and you're going to have a chaotic mess on your hands. I mean, it's so crazy to me that they screwed this whole thing up because there's a perfect blueprint here from a perfect creator. You can literally read the Old Testament for the next 800 years and see God roll this out. It shows me that God is never changing. We are. We fall far from God. It's not him. And it goes indeed from good to bad. And the end of this chapter promises restoration if they can just obey the Lord. You know, that land, the loss of the land. And that there's open door to repentance there. The theme here. We need to spend some time. Guys, do you see the land, the loss of land, the door to repentance? It's all right here. This is the story of us and our crazy up and down relationship with the Lord and how he constantly pursues and he constantly provides a way out and stops at nothing to bring us into his family. Yeah. Same thing in chapter 25 from Genesis when Abraham is about to offer Isaac. Remember that God will restore the nations no matter what. But if you're going to participate in it and enjoy what I'm able to provide you and be loyal to me and not take up other gods, then you will get a great nation. If you run from me, if you push me out as the result, it will be exile from the land that I were. I have provided my land, the land I'm about to lay waste to all the Nephilim tribes that have corrupted it and are unredeemable. That's how serious I am. If you corrupt it, I will have to reset it. I will send you out by force and use another nation to do it. Mm -hmm. My study of eschatology, one day the reset Looks like it will be nuclear cleansing of the literal land, possibly soon. I gotta get those news, those news ones up and running, don't I, Rabbit Trail? Guys, this is not just Old Testament lame old Levitical stuff. Paul hits the, he hits this hard, and even quotes Leviticus 26 in conjunction with the gods living in the temples of the surrounding nations. As we get to the Old Testament, these lowercase gods weren't gone, guys. The the demons weren't gone. What does Jesus do? He's a demon hunter when he comes on the scene. They're not obsolete. They were so integrated into society so well. It had been so corrupted that they had an even bigger control over it then. Right where the chosen people of Israel had dwelled and had lost it all. Why do you think Jesus shows up and all of a sudden there are demons everywhere that he has to deal with? What happened in those 400 years between Malachi and Matthew? What happened in the intertestamental period that's so radically different from the time of this to the time of Jesus rabbit trail? The exile of the Jews didn't end. Until John the Baptist cries out of the wilderness and paves the way for Jesus. Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Understanding, friends, this portion of Leviticus is crucial. Maybe you've been avoiding it your whole life. No longer you. I'm so proud of you. Can I say that? Thank you. I am so proud of you. As I look at the um, the numbers coming across both uh, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Uh, iTunes, I am seeing the highest numbers of any of my podcasts minus my life story one that are coming through this Leviticus deal, because maybe, maybe this is just something that hits you home. Please don't stop here with us because all this stuff gets rolled out and I keep coming back to it through the next series, especially numbers in Deuteronomy chapter 27 here has to do with financing the sanctuary probably added much later to be honest with you but the whole book shows us that we're, we're no longer under this weighty system of the law we're under the gospel right I'm saying to us don't be sad to see this wonderful book go from our Bible study because it's going to pop up all over the place as we read and we continue especially into the New Testament especially into the book of Hebrews which is there to remind us all how much better and superior the Messiah Jesus Christ would be to this old system. My friends, you have stayed with me through this. We only scratched the surface, but more will be rolled out in time. I hope and I see that you see the book of Leviticus in a different light than you ever have before. Go back and listen to it all again. Get a better grasp of what's going on with sacred space and the blood and Yahweh wanting to be set apart from other nations and lowercase gods being at odds with him. It seems weird, but in my opinion, the weirder something is in the Bible, the more we should jump into it. The more God is showing that he wants to do something great through it. Never, ever again run from the book of Leviticus. Never, ever again throw your arms up and say, I don't know why the Bible says that. I don't agree with it. Don't ever do that again. Come back here. Listen to this. More importantly, jump into your own Bibles and know that God wants you to be set apart. My friends, you should be set apart because you are now the temple. You have Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are to be cleansed for all of your impurities. What do you have going on right now in your heart, in your mind, in your life? Cast that out. Send that into the wilderness far, far away. Let God come in. Reign in you. Cleanse. You truly go from death to life. And my friends, enjoy those tattoos. I love you guys.